You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my friend, Arthur Parkinson. And today we're going to chat about something that we both feel is unbelievably important because it's what turns garden flowers, the things just on your doorstep, into wonderful indoor flowers, i.e. cut flowers, that you can have all over your house. And it's the thing that makes the difference between a stem, even like a poppy, lasting for five days or lasting for less than a day. And it's conditioning, conditioning cut flowers. We've touched on it before in episodes, but we really thought that it'd be incredibly useful to everyone to have this as summer is, is sort of really coming into full throttle. And the garden is full of lovely things, which like roses, you tend to bring in and they drop their petals all too quickly. So, Arthur, what do you feel is the kind of number one thing that you can do to turn a garden plant into a long-lasting cut flower? Well, I think that the most thing to remember is that as soon as you take a pair of scissors to a flower, you've cut off its water source. So you have to gather that flower in water straight away. I think me and you are both big campaigners for forgetting this country lady style habit of having that wooden trug under our arm, aren't we? Where um, you're encouraged to just gather things and put them in a wooden trug and then trot back into the house and then put things in water. But as we know, things flop within minutes, particularly at this time of year. And this is why we've chosen to talk about it this time of year, because, you know, the, the temperature is getting higher and with hot weather, things flop as soon as you cut them much more easily. So that would be my first thing that you've taught me to do ever since I've known you. You take a bucket of water out into the garden with you, regardless of what you're picking. And even if you're picking just a handful of sweet peas, you know, take a mug full of water out with you and put them in the mug of water, then take them into the house to arrange. I think that's the Mm. biggest thing I can say to people. Don't have them out of water at all. And I'm always traveling with flowers in water now. And I've learned that with experience, you know, don't think things will last. They flop incredibly quickly. Yeah. And I guess, like you say, it's just so wasteful, isn't it? If, you, if you've mm-hmm. grown these beautiful things and then you don't give them the maximum chance of, of lasting and looking beautiful for as long as possible, I just feel it's just such a waste. And mm-hmm. I remember when I used to buy flowers rather than grow them, you know, quite often they just would have been mistreated. And, and so I would really resent the sort of gerberas when it was in the 90s or the expensive peonies that I'd bought. And then the next morning or two days later, they just dropped their petals or they flopped. And I think that's because they've been dehydrated. And um, and similarly, just I can't bear to, to waste anything that I've grown. And so just as you say, picking it straight into water, particularly if it's a hot day, a hot sunny day, and particularly if you're picking in the middle of the day, then it's even more important. You know, in the winter, you can probably get away with a handful of hellebores. Well, except hellebores, which will come onto a bit temperamental, so they're a bad example. (laughs) But, um, yeah, absolutely right. Picking into water, uh, number one, I'd say. And then what next? Well, I think um, the thing a lot of people will 
in many, 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 many years to come will remember you by is a word called searing, which is something that you have done forever, isn't it? I don't know where you got this idea from, this technique of the boiling water and the end of a, a flower stem. But it's the thing that again and again and again, people are like bowled over by you, you telling them, but it really does work, doesn't it? The the conditioning that searing does to all, every, every flower, really. But you tell me about that because you're better at describing it than I ever will be. Well, okay. So, yeah, I, I, I discovered it, I think, through an aunt with Artemisia, mm. actually. And that beautiful silvery foliage leaf. From a very early age, I used to pick flowers from my parents' garden. And I loved that really, really bright silver uh, color that you get from Artemisia and just on its own or with almost any color. And so I'd I, I would often pick it and then it would always flop. So I stopped picking it. And then my aunt was with me once and in her garden, we were picking at Christmas because of course it's evergreen. So it's one of those things that you can pick in the winter. And she came inside and, and put it in boiling water. And I've just remembered it ever since. I can't remember, maybe I was seven or eight or something. Mm. And so, I mean, actually, Artemisia, like penstemons, one of the things that can be temperamental, and I think it depends how old the stem is. But anyway, the basic technique is really important. It's that you sear, i.e. plunge the stem end in boiling water. I just use a coffee mug that I, I boil the kettle, and when it's just literally just come off the boil, I pour it into a mug, and I sear 10% of the stem end. So if it's a really tall stem, it's, it's longer. If it's a little short stem like a bluebell, it will be less than an inch. And then I put them immediately into cold water so they don't carry on cooking. I know lots of florists just leave them in a bucket of boiling water and then just let it cool in the bucket. But I find that makes the stems collapse because it almost cooks them. So you end up cutting off that seared section. So I, I don't do it like that. And then also, it's also proportional to the season that you're picking in. So in spring, I see a 75 or 80%, not the bulbs, they don't need it. Whereas in summer, it goes down to about 50% of what I'm picking. And in the autumn, it's right down to about 25%. And that is proportional to the texture of the stem. So in the spring, the new cells have grown so recently that they haven't laid any lignin down in their cell wall. Lignin makes bark. And that's what makes a tree upstanding. But any plant has a little bit of lignin. And as it goes through the season, as it's been around for longer, it has time to lay down more lignin. So in the spring, it's very sappy and soft and it will flop. So you need to sear more things, whereas in the autumn, less things. And then the final proportionality is to do with the amount of time in the boiling water. So if it's something really soft, like a bluebell, which is completely transformed from searing, it's five seconds onto something like Ami, it's 10 or Cosmos, 10 seconds onto something more woody like a rose, it's 20 seconds. And then onto things like blossom or crab apples, where you want the leaf to look nice as well as the berry, and it's then 30 seconds. So it's literally the texture of the stem dictates how long it needs to be in the boiling water for it to have the effect. And the effect is increasing the surface area for water absorption. My mum hammers her stem ends to increase the surface area of the xylem, which is the water uptake system, like our circulatory system, and it increases surface area for water absorption by, by partially denaturing the outer cell walls. 
Uh, that's how I understand it anyway. I hope there might be some plant physiologists listening who will say, no, it's not exactly accurate what she's saying. But in broad brushstroke terms, uh, I, that's how I understand it. And, it, and it, it seems to do perfectly well. Yeah, it's much better than the way I just described it, which is I describe it as exfoliation, don't I? Like making your facial pores bigger (laughs) so you're intaking more water, which I'm sure scientists listening will be horrified by. Yeah. But um, it's all about getting that water pumping up the stem, isn't it? But so if someone's bought, Sarah, you know, a mixed bouquet from, you know, a supermarket, you know, from M&S, wherever, can you see that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I pretty much always do. You can dismember it and take out the things that don't need searing like bulbs, but that's a bit more fiddly, really, because, you know, if in doubt sear, you won't do anything any harm and you will do lots of things, a lot of good. So I tend to just like get a bigger jug and just take the cellophane wrap off or whatever and just put the whole thing into an inch of boiling water in, in the bottom of a ceramic jug. And then again, you must remember to put it into cold so it stops cooking. Well, that yeah. that's my view anyway. So yeah, and, and it just you know things like sorry, I'm banging on a bit here, but but things like those roses that I, I, when I used to um, work in London, was driving back to the country quite often, and at traffic lights, sometimes not only would you get people coming up who are wanting to wash your windscreen. But actually, you get people coming up in a traffic light and a traffic jam wanting to sell you roses. And <laughs> occasionally, I would have bought them thinking, well, they'll be nice for someone at the weekend. And you get them home and the next morning, their heads have literally almost dropped off. And your only instinct with something that's looking so sorry for itself is chuck it in the compost heap. But actually, don't, you know, literally do the searing and, you, and put them somewhere cool and dark and in deep water. And within three or four hours, it's quite amazing. They almost always have resurrected. And so, yeah, I find it remarkable. Even when something has flopped, you can really get it back to being in a good state. But I want to hand over to you now, Arthur, because the thing Mm. that you have got me even more into is the thing of floating. And when we were off on our away day in May, in early May, about a month or two ago, I came out and our water feature at Perch Hill was absolutely full of the most glamorous bunches of floating flowers, hellebores, even white blossom, amelanchia, things like that, all floating with their flowers in the water. So why don't you talk about that? Well, you've, you've taught me it really, but I just remember when I first started arranging for you, I'd always want to pick, you know, I've always loved foliage in my flowers. And the first thing that flops quite often in the arrangement is the foliage. So I'd pick, you know, young cardoon leaves with gorgeous tulips. But within, mm. you know, a day of them being in the shop at Perch Hill, the cardoon foliage would literally look like, you know, steamed spinach. And it makes the whole arrangement look, you know, like it's past it, even though the flowers still look beautiful. So by by submerging something like a cardoon leaf, which has a huge surface area. So again, I'm going to go back to my skin analogy, imagining mm. a cardoon leaf as if it's my cheeks you know, I've seared it so it's able to pump water from the, the cut base of the stem. But by having it submerged in cold water, even if it's, you know, just for two hours, but ideally overnight if you've got to, if you allow the time, it means the whole surface of that leaf can just absorb water through its little pores. So the whole plant bit of cut plant is full of water. The maximum amount of water it can have is is within it. 
and that stops it from flopping. And um, mm. it's particularly good, as you said, for, for all blossoms and anything really that's tight in bud, even um, white peonies, as you often say, always submerge your peonies, give them a bath. And I had to take some peonies that were quite tight in bud last week when it was Chelsea. I had to do an arrangement in a posh antique shop, um, which I was quite daunted by. You know, the whole bath for the whole night was filled with peonies, white ones submerged mm. with the flannel on top of the stem. So, you know, the stem is still under the water, but you're trying to get the the leaves that you've left on and also that flower under the water. And it's incredibly effective later on in this year with hydrangeas. If you're keen on your fresh hydrangeas, I know a lot of people like to pick them before we've had an autumn frost that makes them start to blush. If you're wanting to pick them when they're still blue or still white, they quite often within a day will will just flop. They become, you know, like they're soggy little things. But if you submerge the whole flower head and the flower head of hydrangea are the bracts they're not petals they're leaves all of those bracts will you know literally gather the water within them and the head will look as fresh as a daisy and I remember one away day that we did we opened the van and several annabelles or whatever they were hydrangea wise literally looked like they belonged in the compost heap and yeah. we just left them in a bucket overnight didn't we and come the day before because they'd been in a cold you know fully submerged in a cold bucket outside they just hydrated. It was incredible. You know, you could have sold them. They'd gone from looking like they belonged on the compost heap to, to looking fresh and, and beautiful. Yeah, it is remarkable, isn't it? And the, the other, Cotinus, you know, the smoke bush, I love that. Yeah, that's a flopper though, isn't it? Flops so easily. Mm. And um, yeah. I find submerging that is is really fantastic this time of year. It really makes a difference. Mm. So an, another one, I, I like think, I can never remember them when I'm trying to teach them to people. So I've, I've got this acronym, no, not acronym. I never know what it's called. Anyway, they all begin with S. So searing we've had, submerging yeah. we've had. And then the next one is swaddling. And that oh, yeah. more applies in the spring, really. So we're through that now. But people often ask me, how do I stop my tulips ending up having those sort of totally croquet hoop necks and the way to do that is i think grow your own because actually they if you grow your own and you pick them straight into a bucket as arthur described bring them in remove quite a bit of the leaf you won't get the flopping anyway whereas if you buy tulips on the whole they may have been quite dehydrated when you get them and you take them out of their wrap and they all collapse in possibly quite an elegant way, but possibly quite an inelegant way with all these curves, these croquet hoops over the side of the bucket, which when you put them in the vase, they all end up looking like terrible U-bends. So what you want to do with those is to re-wrap them up in a bit of newspaper or brown paper or the tissue that they came in perhaps. And I would cut the stem ends, but you don't need to sear these. And then you leave them for three or four hours in deep water. And what happens the cone of paper is absolutely critical because what it does is it just holds those floppy heads absolutely vertical on their stem. So they rehydrate vertically. And then when you take the paper off, they will stay vertical. Whereas if you leave them in the croquet hoop, they set in the croquet hoop and that's the way they will look from then onwards. And then the only other thing that I think is quite important with particularly the massive heavy-headed parrot tulips, like one of your favourites, Amazing Parrot or mm. Green Wave, is that what happens is that just immediately below the flower, you get this really active growth plate of cell division. And 
That, of course, just going back to the lignin that I mentioned earlier, that, of course, is so newly divided, those new cells there, they haven't had time to have any lignin at all. So what you find is on day sort of three, four, whereas they had been perfectly straight, they then start looking at the table. And what's happened is they've grown and the growth plate is just below the flower. And so that then can't hold the head and it flops over. So if you want to avoid that, you put a pin or even better with a big tulip, a darning needle through the stem just below the flower and basically make a hole in it and then remove it. You don't leave it in. People often ask that. You remove it and then you do the next one and the next one and the next one. And what that does is it disrupts the cellular division in that growth plate. So you don't get the same amount of growth and you don't get the same amount of flopping. And that is why people were employed in grand stately houses, often over Easter, and they were called tulip girls. And they literally, one of their jobs was to spear the tulips that had been picked from the wall gardens of the stately homes of England, or Britain rather, and um, and it would stop them becoming rather shambolic and chaotic and not formal enough for these grand party pieces. I've never pierced a tulip. Have you not? <laughs> no, I don't no. think I've ever done it for you either. No, but that's because we quite like a bit of, you know, swan neck. Um, yeah. Action. The swaddling, is the swaddling more, because I've never, uh, garden tulips, I wouldn't do it. But if you're bought tulips, it's more yeah. for the bought ones, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. more for the bought ones. Because if you've grown your own, they won't be dehydrated. No, of course. If you, if you buy them, to be honest, they've often come with the Flying Dutchman in a lorry and they may have drunk their water. They, they then arrive feeling rather rather dry and rather <laughs> in need of a drink. What's the other one? So what about amaryllis, Arthur? What would you do with amaryllis as, as you come up to Christmas? Oh, well, I like this one. I mean, the fact is... I do tend to buy amaryllis now as cooked flowers because the mm. cooked flowers are a bit cheaper than the bulbs even. But the thing to do, what happens is when you get will get cooked amaryllis home or even when you've started to buy them, the, the stems are hollow like bamboo. They go right up. You can see right the way up to the top of the flower from the bottom of the cut stem. And what happens yeah. is, for those of you that are keen on cravers and that sort of crisp, you'll notice that the ends of the stem start to curl upwards and they start to split and that ruins the flower. Eventually, the split goes so far up the stem that the stem collapses. And you could have had, you know, almost, you know, as a cooked flower, more or less in a cool room will last almost three weeks. But if you don't deal with this slicing of the stem that's naturally happening, they do collapse. So the thing to do is when you get them home, go out into the woodshed or the garden where you've got your little pile of twigs or smooth bamboo canes, quite thin ones, and delicately push the cane up the hollow stem but do it very delicately so you don't really have to push it right to the top of the flower, but at least more than halfway, I would say, as to the top of the stem as you can. And then once it's up the stem, at the end of the stem, cut the bamboo cane to length. You'll have to do this over the table, not when you've had a drink because it's quite a delicate process. <laughs> and get a rubber band and then rubber band the end of the stem and the bamboo cane. So the stem is supported in its middle, hollow middle, and then the rubber band stops the stem ends from starting to curl upwards you'll have nice neat amaryllis stems that will then last really well in the vase yeah yeah i don't think there's anything else you do that to do you that you well, can't, can't think it, of no i mean delphiniums have hollow stems and i know yes. when people are exhibiting with delphiniums you know when there's like the rhs delphinium show or whatever i've seen the guys they they get those long houseplant funneled watering cans 
and they yeah. pour water right to the the um, tip of the stem from obviously the base, and then they turn it, putting the finger over the base and lower it into the water. So the column of water stays all the way up the hollow. Mm. Otherwise, the tips can go and and you get marked down uh, for that. But the only thing I, I don't bother with that with dolphins, the only thing I do that with, and I really do do it with amaryllis. It feels mm. like slightly over the top for just a cut flower. But I find cut amaryllis kept cool really can give you three or even four weeks. And there's a new thing of having quite a few doubles. And I had one here in the winter called Aleppo. And I'd actually used the bulbs in a photo shoot. Then when I was leaving, this is my in, in my little house in London, when I was leaving, I just cut all the flower heads off because I had a friend coming to stay when I wasn't here and put them in a vase. And I came back three weeks later and they still looked amazing. So as we may have mentioned, double flowers normally make things last longer anyway. With, For instance, you'll find that with double tulips like Exotic Emperor or Bella Pop, they last longer than the singles. But also with Amaryllis, it's true. And the fact that I'd put the cane in meant that the stems were still upstanding and the flowers had get, you know, carried on emerging. And so these doubles went on. And I, I genuinely think I had them here for close to six weeks from the moment I picked them as buds. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're amazing. And it's really worth doing the, the internal staking thing. I really, really recommend it. And then maybe a couple of others, S's. So the next one would be sugar. So I tend to make a sugar syrup for sweet peas only. And in the trials that we've done at Perch Hill, adding a, a slosh of sugar syrup in the water, in the flower water, seems to make the difference of a couple of days. Well, sweet peas normally give you, what, four days before they look ropey? And you can get close to six or even seven if you put a bit of sugar syrup in their water. So just like you might make if you're a cocktail fiend, I'm not actually a cocktail fiend, but you make a sugar syrup and have it in a squeezy bottle in the door of your fridge. That's exactly just a quick, you know, little slurp of sugar syrup in every vase of sweet peas at this time of year mm. will just help elongate their vase life a little bit and do an experiment. I mean, that's what I love doing is pick a vase in exactly the same state as another vase, put some sugar syrup in one and not in another, put them in exactly the same position, whether it be cool and shady, which is of course best or sunny and hot, less good for sweet peas. And then just notice whether the sugar syrups made a difference and that will confirm that it, it's worth the effort. Mm. And we don't use bleach anymore, do we, at all? No. So should we come on to flower food? Yeah. I mean, apart from the sugar that you've just described, mm. we don't really use it, do we? No. I mean, occasionally I put a slosh of, of vinegar in the yeah, water. vinegar's great. I've had a vase of Allium Christophia in quite a heavy vase now for, oh, it must be four weeks. And I chose the heavy vase and because... Problem with alliums, I find, is their stems start to rot quite quickly. So yeah. I put a good slosh of white vinegar in this vase, and I probably the stems are probably in only in about six inches of water, and the stems are all lovely and smooth and nice. And I think the vinegar has really helped to stop it becoming a slimy oniony yeah. mess. Um, yeah. But yeah, vinegar I find is really good, and of course it's good for the the water system because you're on a septic tank, aren't you? Yeah. 
Exactly. For people like that, you often stay at a house, don't you? You know, Airbnb, and they say, please don't put A, B, C, and D down the water system. Because by using bleach, you really are harming the the waterways, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely right. And um, now I think one thing you said about that, about alliums, is depth of water is another thing that I think Mm. is really important. And if you've got something like an amaryllis or an allium, which have got a vase life, as Arthur says, of you know, three to four weeks, or the other thing is the classic thing is an alstro or a chrysanthemum. As a general rule, put them in shallow water because mm. that will mean that the chances of this whole stem and the water uptake rotting is much less because they're literally, if just the stem end is in water, but the rest of it isn't, it hasn't got all that surface area that's likely to rot if it's sitting in water for a month, which we all know if you put a leaf in water for a month, it's turned into disgusting, smelly smush. So shallow water for long-lasting flowers is quite an important thing. But, 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 you've got to remember to top it up because, of course, the quickest reason for a flower to die is it hasn't got any water at all. And mm. when we're arranging big arrangements, um, whoppers like Arthur does in the school at Perchill, one of the things perhaps that I'm deeply boring about is top up the vase, top up the vase, morning and night. So at first thing in the morning, I go into the school and I top up all the vases, little ones as well as big, but particularly the big guys. Because if you've crammed a vase full, the stem will only just tuck in to the, the absolute top of the water level. And so if that then evaporates or is sucked up by the plants, which are photosynthesizing and transpiring, then, of course, they're out of water and they will die very, very quickly in hot weather. So that's a a very important thing. So any final sort of roundups, Arthur, do you think? I think because we're coming into, you know, it is coming, you know, we're all trying to see people we've not seen for a while, aren't we? And summer parties are hopefully on the onset and we've all hopefully got sweet peas and lovely, easy, little hand-tied things to to take to people. What I would say is, as I said at the start of this, you know, pick into water, but literally just save any nice jam jars that you get, recycle, and just take them literally in a nice jam jar and save any, you know, nice tissue paper that you get when you get, you know, presents or even boxes of chocolates, you know, just save them in a bag for life somewhere. And, you know, take mm-hmm. care of your cut flowers, make sure they're in water and and, and share the, the beauty of them with people. But there's no point, you know, picking them, taking to someone's house and have, arriving with them being half dead when you could have just had them in water. Um, so that's the biggest thing I think I'll I'll say and end on, I think. Yeah. And linked to that, if I'm making like a bridal bouquet or a bridesmaid's posy, mm. I know this sounds kind of dangerous in a way, but I would put a little bit of kitchen roll around the stems, dampen mm. that, holding it onto the stems with string or even rubber bands and then I wrap that in cling film which means that the moisture of the kitchen paper whatever you know is still in contact with the stem end and then I'll wrap that in a little bit of fabric or ribbon or whatever and then when it's in a bride or bridesmaid's hot hand even so it's still got access to water and that will make the difference Mm -hmm. between the flowers looking nice for the church or the flowers looking nice for the church, the reception and the sort of dancing party at the end of the day. And at which point it doesn't matter because they've been chucked to someone else by that point. But um, <laughs> yeah, flowers need water. We know it. But, you know, you can just, as Arthur says, useful tricks like like jam jars, um, which we all have in our recycling. 
boxes. Well, that's great. And so just to recap, to help me remember them, and so to help you, I hope, remember them, they all begin with S. So it's searing, which is for most things, submerging, which is for large surface area things like peonies and foliage, staking, which is for amaryllis, particularly swaddling, which is particularly for tulips, but also for gerbers. There's one other S that uh, that memory jogger has jogged my memory, which is sterilizing. Oh, no, sugar and then sterilizing. So sugar for sweet peas and then sterilizing. And that's for lilies. And that's I find if I remove the anthers of lilies, of course, they then will not, the stigma in the middle of the flower won't get pollinated by the lily flower itself. So it'll have to have a bee coming in and pollinating it, i.e. fertilizing it. And inside, that's much less likely to happen than outside. So you decrease the chances of that individual lily flower being fertilized. And so it keeps going on longer flowering because, of course, the reason a flower is there pouring out its scent is to draw in pollinators to fertilize it and make babies. And by removing the male part of the flower, which are the anthers, you decrease the chances of that happening. And so sterilizing also increases the vase life of lilies. Thank you, Arthur. That's um, very good. Dense with tips for everyone, I hope. Thanks for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. And next week, Sarah is off, but she will be listening in to me talking to an amazing couple who are honey beekeepers of Epping Good Honey. And as well as keeping honeybees, they know a lot about bees in general and about what plants honeybees and all kinds of bees really want in our gardens for them to thrive. So join us then for a conversation about beekeeping and also looking after bees in general. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.